Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Chicago Justice Project. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I'm also executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. Today, we're going to talk with our friend Steve Rhodes from the Beachwood Reporter about media coverage of the Chicago Police Board's selection, search, and process for the for a replacement to the Chicago Police Superintendent. Uh, our last one, Eddie Johnson, was fired. We've had an interim one, Charlie Beck from Los Angeles, out of retirement, who uh, has been basically a placeholder, although he's bringing a lot of reforms in. That will be a... Um, a topic for another podcast, but the Chicago Police Board is tasked with, under the law, selecting three ca- to do a search for candidates and then selecting three finalist candidates and candidates and selecting those and presenting them to Mayor, now the Mayor Lightfoot. Um, we're going to talk about that process, the media coverage of it, the process by which uh, Mayor Lightfoot selected David Brown, former police chief from Dallas, to f- be the permanent replacement permanent superintendent of Chicago Police Department. That process mirrored or mimicked the process done many, many times over the last 20 or 30 years in Chicago. I don't necessarily think Lightfoot subverted the law, but she certainly subverted her candidate promises of transparency and community involvement because there was no transparency and there was no community involvement about the selection of Chief Brown. It certainly seems like the inside deal was done between the mayor's office and the police board. The other two candidates they picked did not really have the experience that Chief Brown that could have been competitive with him. In fact, there was another candidate from L.A., which we'll talk a little bit about later with Rhodes in our discussion, that Probably could have been much more serious competition for Brown, but he wasn't on that last list. And it certainly seems like Mayor Lightfoot got advanced uh, notice of that list when it was put together. It wasn't necessarily that she influenced how it was put together, I don't think, although that may have happened. But the list was provided to the mayor's office before it was at least a week before it was submitted to the public. So we didn't know who the candidates were. And during that time, Mayor Lightfoot was actually supposedly interviewing them. The Chicago Justice Project, we're going to shed a little more light on this subject, not through this podcast, but through freedom of information requests. We are in the process of submitting them both to the police board and to the mayor's office to get notice of when all those interviews took place, all the emails between the board and the mayor's office. And we are going to FOIA the packages that were submitted, the materials that were submitted by each of the three finalist candidates that were publicly identified, we're going to see those and make those public. We want to know how this happened. We'll get back to you once we uh, receive uh, responses. Those should be filed early part of this week, and then we'll come back to you with whatever we get back. For today's show, we're talking with Steve Rhodes, Beachwood reporter, founder, and editor. He's written about media criticism column, both on the Beachwood Reporter, but uh, even prior to that with Chicago Magazine, his press box column. He's done it for many, many years. We're going to talk about talk about and analyze some of the media coverage. It's been poor. The media didn't have a tremendous amount of time to know exactly that Brown was going to be one of the last final candidates and then the selection. I think that's been on purpose, that process, but they've known for long enough to do the research that both Steve Rhodes and the Chicago Justice Project would have done, which is just look back at some of the media, and um, it's not good. There are some very serious allegations of 
manipulating crime statistics and making crimes such as aggravated assault, aggravated battery disappear off the annual reports they have to file to the FBI. And there's allegations of manipulating car burglaries, low amount, under $50, under $100 burglaries out of cars. They put a dubious, incredibly dubious process in place that made what looks like about 2,000 disappear off of the official crime statistics. They had to go back after the Dallas Morning News caught wind and did the analysis and talked to victims who filed reports but didn't know they were basically thrown out. Uh, The department had to go back and evaluate 2,000 car burglaries in a single year, that is, to see why those were thrown out and to reevaluate to see whether or not they should have been Now, the connection to David Brown is he was deputy chief of the Dallas Police Department while this was going on. And according to Dallas Morning News, supervising the lieutenant who was doing the actual manipulation. So that puts him right in the middle of it. Now, that hasn't made the Chicago press. I don't know why. It made our Facebook live chat that we had with Steve Rhodes on Wednesday That was out for everyone to see. We haven't seen any follow-up stories from the Chicago press about these allegations. They weren't sufficiently answered in Dallas. And it doesn't seem like they've been sufficiently answered at all publicly to this point. We don't know whether the mayor's office knows about them and has an answer prepared. We'll see in Monday, the April 20th hearing, which is... um, Going to be a theatrical show from the Committee on Public Safety. Those are usually pretty bad. We are going to be recording it so that we can log all the questions by Alderman that come up. And maybe we'll report back on those. And so you can um, see what your Alderman asked. The new superintendent of police. We're coming only a couple years after the Laquan McDonald murder. We're coming a few weeks after the red line subway shooting there are serious needs we have in a department in an apartment superintendent and i don't think we're going to get the answers we need or i don't think we're going to get the questions we need by the super by the city council we will see we'll report back to you today's show is our conversation with steve rhodes about the media coverage we go in depth about some of the articles some of the leaks that have taken place or I guess you'd call them strategic leaks. They certainly lean like they were strategically and done on purpose. So we analyze that, and then we're going to come back and wrap up and talk about uh, what is what else CJP is doing out there. Thank you very much for tuning in, and we'll see you well, on the other side. Let's What do you think of the coverage? Not just in general. What do you think with the co- coverage in general around this whole affair? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I think the coverage was fine uh, through – the process right until the very end. And then there were a couple of hiccups. There were several um, news organizations that, you know, broke the news a day or so ahead of time about who the finalists were. And I find that quite interesting because uh, to me, it's not really much of a scoop to get something that we're gonna find out anyway, kind of like I got the press release an hour before you and it's a scoop. Now in this case, it's obviously more than a press release. It is 
news, but we're going to get the list of finalists. And so you have to wonder who, who uh, told people of the media and why. Well, you know, is it a trial balloon? Was it, I mean, I mean, they really shouldn't be doing that. And I'm all for telling the media everything, but I think there's like a different dynamic there that would be interesting to know is why, why did this get out and, and what was the purpose of it? I, uh, I don't think it was an accident. And then we knew that David Brown was a finalist for, I think maybe a week or so before he was selected by Lori Lightfoot. And that was plenty of time for uh, the media to dig into him and the other two finalists. And they did sort of do these little mini profiles, but they were pretty shallow. And so it was kind of fascinating that me and you almost by accident of <laughs> Googling this or that, come to find that um, he has some pretty, some questionable things in his background that you think would have been explored already. Um, and then there are other, and, and we can, you know, get to this stuff and flesh it, flesh it out more. But of course, he's written a book, which you and I have both taken a look at that merits uh, some discussion and some reporting. And um, there are also questions about if Lori Lightfoot jumped the gun and started interviewing the finalists before they were actually presented to her, which would be, um, in some ways you could say it's just a breach of protocol, but in other ways, it's kind of subverting the system the way it was set up to go. So, I, you know, I think there are various, uh, you know, we can talk about all of these, but I think, so I think the coverage, you know, was fine right up until the end. And then it just kind of had some weirdness to it. in, in my estimation, we should look at his confirmation hearing is Monday and there's a lot of stuff about him that should already be out. Yeah, there. I, I want to talk a little bit about this whole like selection process and Lightfoot, what, what she knew or didn't know and what she did ahead of time. From my read of it, the police board created the list, then sent it to her privately. And then she did the interviews of the three people. Yeah. And then they released the list. And that's the best case scenario in my view for the process yeah because it means she didn't start interviewing people before they selected the police board made the selection so because that to me would be a breach of ethics and morals and right. values and everything she said for uh time and memorial about how the past superintendents have been picked however i think it's a technical a technicality that she's trying to get out on by interviewing the people before the public got to find out. Yeah. And well, then, so Mick, go ahead. I, I was gonna say, you know, uh, um, according to a Fran Spielman report, uh, uh -oh. and- Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Lightfoot said that she saw um, the names in the news reports, according to sources. So these are the three finalists. And to get a jump on things, she went ahead and started doing her interviews. Now, no one else has reported that. And I'm quite skeptical of anything Franz Spielman reports. Um, and so I, I, I'm not gonna say that 
that's the way it happened. I haven't seen the reporting replicated. I don't trust Fran even, you know, with what I thought were quite damning quotes uh, coming from Lightfoot's mouth. Um, I don't understand why Lightfoot would feel the need uh, to get out, you know, get things, get things going ahead of time, get the interviews going ahead of, like a day early, or why not just have the police board just release the names right away? Like, I don't understand what is gained by that. Um, I don't think it changes the way. I, I think it was, not to cut you off, but yeah. I think it was done to prevent um, media from digging into them. Could have been. And I do think it was before any reformers could stand up and say no, or Black Lives Matter could come up and say, no, we don't want them for this yeah. or that. We don't want these three or this one's out. As one of those reformers, a transparency person, I find it appalling that the names uh, were not released to the public first. And there wasn't at least a few weeks time before between the uh, names being announced and Lightfoot making her selection. Right, right. We need public input. We need to dig into their backgrounds. And we're going to talk, you know, a little further into this um, session about his background, his book, and what the reporters in Dallas dug up. And I shouldn't say dug up, what, what was in the Dallas media and had been for multiple years and was easily and still remains easily findable by but, Chicago but, journalists. But Fran, but Fran told us that the Dallas media generally gave him good marks. <laughs> okay, how, how do you find that out? Like well, I haven't seen, maybe I'm wrong, but I haven't seen quotes from the press. I haven't seen anything what we were able to dig up, which took right. about, not really honestly people, very little time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, as a friend of mine, I stole this from a friend of mine, uh, sources close to Google say, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and Google returns those search results in like 0.001358 seconds. That's how, how long it took us to find some of this information. Okay, so let's turn um, to a Fran story that I think she did with, may have done with Frank Main and, and Sam Charles. And it's got a piece in there that really... I'm not sure how to feel. It really, I got, no, I'll be honest. It bothers me. And I'm not sure what impact it should have. There's no doubt if you read his book and you dig into David Brown's history, there are some traumatic things in there. There's no doubt. He lost his son and someone was involved in a shooting with another officer that I think he either wounded or killed. Um, his partner was killed in the line, although I should say his ex-partner was killed in the line of duty. Um, so there are no doubt things, and they had that shooting of officers, kind of like the terrorist attack against the police. That's another horrific thing that he had to live through. But, you know, there's this thing, a source close to the police board, this is Fran, so take that for what it's worth. I, I just want to quote it. A, a source close to the police, police board search has described Brown's strength as his amazing personal story and willingness to use that story to connect with citizens. His brother was murdered by drug dealers. His son was killed in a police shootout and his partner died in the line of duty. Now, once again, those are all horrific. Um, we're all happy. I'm sure everyone should be happy that he's been able to live, live through those and move on. There's no doubt they're horrific. But does it, is this story a real, like, make you eligible? Is that no. like, 
Is that yes. like something on your resume as like, see, I, I had, you know, I experienced these murders in my life where they're awful and I wouldn't wish on anyone, but is that, is that a criteria for selection of being in charge of the third largest police department in the country? Not, not really. Uh, I mean, um, it is said <laughs> passively that in Dallas, he was able to connect with some people on the streets and um, victims and perhaps perpetrators of violence because he could tell those personal stories and say, look, I've been through it, I understand. He, so I think it's about having empathy and that is all that's good. I mean, it's not good that how it came to be that he had tragedy, but you know, that's one thing, but that alone, your personal story doesn't say anything about how good of a police chief you'll be. I, I mean. If, if they could connect the empathy to policy and changes, which we'll talk about, because I think he did a little bit, but yeah. I think that story was mostly relying on like this, this heroic story that was pictured in, it's like an extension of his book. Yeah, it's this idea of like, well, he's got, you know, they, they, reporters do that a lot with uh, politicians. Well, they've got a powerful personal story to tell. Like, okay, <laughs> so <laughs> they may also have terrible judgment or be a bad manager or be wrong on the policy. I'm not saying David Brown is any of those things. I, I just think it's, it, it can be, it can be an element. It could be something that separates you from other candidates who maybe are otherwise equal to, but um, it, it shouldn't be anything to really hang your hat on in my view. It would seem to me that you'd want to, um, what is missing from all this, and we'll talk about other stories, um, is like a critical review of his like police record. Right, exactly. They talk about that incident and whether he had done, whether he should or should not have bombed that guy. But what did he do his whole policing career? Right. Where's that bio? The bio should, by the way, should have had to have been presented to the police board. And that stuff, when life would, well, first of all, when they released the three candidates' names, all of that material should have been put online. Yeah. And there should have been a period of time for Chicagoans to review it and take yes. it in. And right, and then there should have been a detailed bibliography or, or resume for all his time. Um, and then the media should have vetted all of that. Yes. Top to, soup to nuts, top to bottom. So yes. that we know, so there are no surprises after he gets elected and say, whoopsie, see, we got breaking news. We just found out that he was involved in this nefarious activity 15 years ago. Right. Well, oh, wait a minute. That should have been presented to us before once life well first of all once he was named to the three candidates we should have everything in their history yeah but then once lightfoot names him you should dig into his history yeah yeah i don't understand why that's just not done yeah i i i don't i don't get it either you'd think and you'd think that even after lightfoot had made the selection you think by now they still could have done a lot of that i mean brown is a guy who he, he seemed to have held just about every job in the Dallas Police Department. Obviously starting out as a street cop, 
but he was in, um, you know, he was a detective. He was a, a commander of the SWAT team for a while. He worked in, uh, didn't he work in, um, we were talking before the show, involved in investigating officer-involved shootings. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, and then he was involved in community policing and he was, he seemed to have been groomed uh, to rise up in leadership, working in just about every area of the police department. And um, that means that uh, there's a long record there that we should be able to look at. And not because there's necessarily these deep, dark, hidden secrets, the record might be, look how great this guy is, but we just, we don't know. I mean, you and I know a little bit from just the work we've done, but not very much of that has uh, been put out there by the media. Yeah, and they're the ones being paid to do it too, so. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't get it. I'm not being paid to do it. <laughs> right, so it, it would have benefited the Chicago media to stop doing stories about how crime is down during the pandemic, <laughs> right? And focused more on the history of these people and David Brown so we'd have uh, a, a real good understanding of what we're getting. I understand I he had to make... So. Right, I understand the one decision he had to make, and I, I'm not um, trying to downplay the significance, but that's one of probably hundreds or thousands of decisions he had to make through his career. And maybe that decision he made on that fateful day with the officer, and, you know, the officers being gunned down, maybe that's contrary to his character and his history. And um, maybe that would say something more about him or something less about him. But it's hard to know the context when you're provided none. Right, right. Or is there any other, are there any, what other coverage stands out to you as being lacking, Well, lack of a better word? I, I guess, <laughs> I guess I'll name a couple of things and only two of the three that I'll name were also Graham Spielman projects. She did this interview with, uh, for a long time, the front runner for this job was believed to have been uh, is it oh, Jamie yeah. Malinowski? I believe so. And uh, Malinowski had been Charlie Beck's uh, chief of staff in LA. He was been a consultant for years to CPD, working out of the UFC crime lab. And he did not make the finalist list, which was a bit of a surprise. And uh, Spielman reported a couple of times that he apparently lost favor with the police board through some heavy-handed campaigning for the job. Um, and what bothered me is she never told us what that was or what that meant. Was it him? Was he talking to the media? Was he buttonholing police board members? Was he getting other people to talk him up? I mean, just tell me what that means. I don't, I just, just explain that. I just, I don't understand that sounds like the thing that you kind of hear third hand, like almost like gossip. I'm not saying it's not true, but I just don't know what that means. And Well, when you're taking dictation <laughs> while you're <laughs> right. on the phone and one of the police board members or Max Caproni, the executive director, tells you that, yes. our foreman, the executive director, or the president of the police board tells you that, um, you, and all you do is write it down and put it in your article, 
there's no need to do the research about what the campaigning was. Yeah, what, what's the police board president's name again? Dar Foreman. Isn't that, isn't this the, isn't that the GM of uh, the Bulls? Oh, you're right. Gar, um, Gar Foreman. Right. No, what, no wonder yeah. they, uh, no, I think it's like <laughs> Jean, Jean, um, but you're right. G-H-I-A-N or something or, yeah. No, no wonder they, uh, <laughs> things got so screwed up. No wonder, no wonder Gar Foreman did such a bad job with the Bulls. He's um, busy with police work all day. You are right. You're yeah. absolutely right. Um, oh no. I, I'm trying to look it up because we are live and I can do that. Yeah. But um, in the meantime, oh, it's I, Gian oh. Foreman. Yeah. Sorry so, so anyway, then when Malinowski uh, is not among the finalists, Spielman does an interview with him. And the interview, it's like a, in a Q&A, so we got to see the questions too. And the entire interview is her trying to get Malinowski to say that he's mad, that he's not a finalist. And Malinowski is just like, I respect the process. I'm not, I'm disappointed, but I'm not, that's, that's up to them. And she keeps, the only questions she asks him are different ways to prod him, to get him to say something. And that's one of her kind of underhanded methods to like get, get him to say some kind of word that she can then make a headline and build an article around. And she even said, said things to him like, um, well, when you saw who the finalists were, you must have been really mad when you saw how little experience they had compared to you, which, which is absurd. I mean, now, granted, the police chief of Aurora was a finalist, and that doesn't seem like someone who should make the top three. But other, otherwise, I mean, he's, his resume isn't any better than the other two finalists, <laughs> and definitely yeah, not you know, David Brown. So it doesn't make any sense. And so I, I, I've been in many aldermanic offices, and I've talked to many aldermen and, and people in the political world. And, in Chicago and heard countless times them comment about Fran Spielman or turn off their phone when Spielman's calling or like, oh, yeah. she's just looking to start an argument. She just yeah. wants some hot quote, that's right? Exactly I mean, what and that's is. so telling that- That's why she calls, view. that's why all of a sudden, all of a sudden the once anonymous Ray Lopez is in the paper so much because she can call him up and he'll say something about the mayor and she has a story. It's absurd. Yeah, it, it's so different the, than the view you get of her from her colleagues. I don't understand right? Especially it. on Twitter and how they rave about her. But at the same time, you realize like, wow, that is just, um, I remember years ago, 2009, maybe late 2009 when we released our police sports study or sometime in 2010. Um, I was at a city council meeting and I got up, my phone started ringing. I'm in the back and it's Alderman Fioretti. So I go um, into out, out of the chamber so I can take the call. And he's like, what did your results say? And I start telling about the results of the study we published because we we're trying to get an ordinance passed reforming the police board. And I start saying, he's like, no, no, no. Give it to me like you're writing an article. I'm sitting here with Fran and I'm just dictating it to her. Yeah. 
And at some point later, a story showed up and I don't remember seeing like quotes from our report. Right. Right. And um, that kind of troubled me that that was how things were done. But it was right. what you said. So in other words, it, it, it was, it was, it was, you it told was a reasonable Fia already told Fran, it went from you to Fiore to Fran into the paper. <laughs> yeah, or online. Yeah, it was a fact, you know, it was reasonably yeah. close. It was some version of what I said, but I never spoke to anyone at the Sun Times for that article. Right. Right. And they don't show quotes like they're quoting stuff from my report. Yeah. So if it wasn't right from that, I'm not exactly sure how they, um, <laughs> how they got it. So, so let's change subject here a little bit. Yeah, okay. Go so on. what did you, what did we, but you, what did you find out about, let's go through his book. Yeah, let's do the book. Okay. This is the let's do the stuff. book. What did you, what did you find out from looking at his book? Let's go through his book a little bit. Well, I, I found out that he thinks pretty highly of himself. <laughs> I, I wondered if it's possible to, if it's, uh, fair to describe an autobiography or a memoir as self-absorbed? <laughs> you think maybe it would be inherently that, but no. I mean, I read autobiographies all the time or memoirs or whatever, and they're often quite interesting. He, he seems really self-absorbed, like a sense, a sense of uh, destiny about his specialness. You know, a lot of mundane things about what happened to him in third grade that for some reason we should care about. Um, there's an awful lot of Jesus in that book. Uh, there was. There a lot was. of Jesus, a lot of Jesus stuff. I got a lot of like, you know, I'm just gonna leave it to the Lord. <laughs> That's you know, whatever. He can do that. But but the main thing and probably the most relevant to his new job is that he he traced an arc to his career and you know i'm not saying we should just believe it but it seems it seems like things really did go this way is that when he started out as a street cop and even in his first few uh, other roles as a detective and working in other departments or other areas of the police department he was a lock him up and throw away the key guy he, he said, you know, put him in prison and, and let the Lord sort him out, that sort of thing. He was a, a tough on crime guy. Uh, he very reluctantly was assigned at one point to the new community policing initiative uh, in Dallas at a certain point. And it was the last thing he wanted to do. He just thought it would bore him to tears. It wasn't policing to him and he once he got involved in it and got a taste of it and saw the results and built relationships in the in the neighborhood that he was assigned to he he completely was um transformed you know he completely uh flipped and and became a big community policing guy and that's a big part of his calling card now uh, is that he is a, a true believer. Now, community policing, obviously, 
has different meanings. People define it differently. So this is what, what he and Dallas believe community policing to be. Um, but that was really the arc of his career um, that I got a sense of from the book. And then, of course, it, it kind of culminates in that moment when he decides to you know, send the bomb down the hallway to blow up the suspect who was shot and killed cops because they don't think they can fight their way down the hallway. That's kind of the climax. But, but it's that narrative arc that really is what uh, I thought, I think was kind of the, the, the point or the frame of the book. Yeah, I, I, you know, I definitely went through the book and I've got, I, I don't read a bunch of memoirs, so, you know, I'll, I'll give that caveat, but it, it definitely read as if you were, to some extent, reading Superman's book, <laughs> right? Um, and maybe that's how memoirs are, I don't know. Um, so, I read, a, I, I, I read a lot of of rock memoirs and they just tell the fun stories. <laughs> that, that's not what this was. <laughs> um, yes. But there was a certain no. kind of, there was a certain kind of small town, almost small town naivete kind of um, Casey factor to it too. So, I mean, you did get the sense, I mean, look, like a guy, I mean, he could turn out to be a great police chief. I'm just, I'm just saying, what, what, what I found in the book is, you know, at least a guy like Gary McCarthy, you know, he had come from New York City and you could kind of tell, right? And he had, yes. he wasn't, he was a city guy. And, you know, Dallas is actually not that big and <laughs> he, he kind of comes off as a bit country. Uh, so, I'm, yeah, I, I I definitely got that too. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see that uh, whether he can make the transition effectively. I'm worried about some of the stuff in his background. I do. Yeah. I will say that I agree with Lightfoot when she says there are maybe ten people that can run a department that size of Chicago. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if that if the bench is even that deep anymore. Um, I don't think that uh, with all respect, the superintendent from Aurora should have been on that list. It could very well be that she was one of the top three of the candidates that applied. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, that's a problem for Chicago. Mm -hmm. I, I thought the last crop of superintendent candidates with maybe the exception of the guy from Georgia that Ron gave the job and then took the job back from to give it to Eddie Johnson. We saw how well that all worked out. It came to an exactly fitting end for how he came on board. I don't think two, at least two of those candidates were on that bench. They should have been on that list either. Right. Um, and I think that is a problem for Chicago to grapple with if this is the kind of candidates we're getting. They're certainly not developing insider candidates who are capable. And, right. and then they're not attracting outsider candidates. Uh, perhaps, you know, I thought, I thought uh, 
when Rom made his last hire that maybe maybe people just didn't want to work for Rom. I mean, if you were a police chief, would you really want that? Want to work for Rom? And then this time around, you're coming in with the federal consent decree, and you might not want to work under that. And there also aren't really how many police chief candidates in the country are actually really reformers. I don't know how many cops get to become police chiefs who are reformers. I mean, there are probably a few, but... Um, well, I, yeah, and how many police chiefs are successful at getting reforms and are really instituting real reforms? And can right? then, and can, and they're at a large enough department where they could come here and handle this. Right, because Chicago is very good at instituting faux reform. Right. Right. No one's really been able to break the blue wall, not just of silence, but of practices and policies and of corruption and of scratch my back, I scratch your back and of breeding incompetent bosses. Right. right. No one's been able to break that to put in first national level reforms into Chicago. They sort of do it or they talk about it, but we don't really necessarily see those reforms. The red line shooting is a great example, right? That, that debacle and the fact that those officers were only two years out of the academy. And that's how they resolved the situation that should have never gotten to the level it did and then should have never resolved in it. All right, so let's go back. Let's go back. So I'm, I'm worried about whether or not Brown is actually going to be capable of doing it. But I'm also worried about whether he has actually the background of putting in and instilling the reforms. I, I you know, we're going to talk about the coverage in Dallas and what we found by uh, our, using our friend, Mr. Google. But I'm not quite sure he has the history of reforming a department. Um, I think he has a history of talking about it and bragging about it. And maybe that's what qualified them for Chicago because the past superintendents have all been very good at that. Well, implementation has been another issue. So what, give me some of the fact checks. I know there was a big article in the Dallas News a couple of years ago about fact checking his book. So you read right. his book, but what, what did the fact check say from the Dallas Morning News? Well, this, and this is the thing that I'm really surprised to, Chicago media, I shouldn't be surprised when they don't do their jobs at this point, but hasn't picked up on. And I tweeted it out a few times, like, does nobody care about the fact that um, I thought this fact check uh, was pretty damning in some ways. I mean, there were some things where it's like he claimed to have said something that was something that the mayor actually said. You know, he's working with a ghostwriter, and you could see how maybe somehow that got mixed up. Now, you think he would know in a final review that that quote didn't belong to him. Um, but then there were some larger issues, like, you know, something he claimed happened months after a particular incident was years later. Uh, but the big one is that he, he bragged about uh, the crime statistics in Dallas and lowering crime, but um, the Dallas Morning News found, they did an investigation, and they found that, that the 
police department, this is, this is what they wrote. The police department under Chief David Kunkel, now this is when Brown was his, his uh, uncle's uh, deputy, had artificially lowered its crime statistics by changing the way it counted some crimes. Brown, then the first assistant chief, directly supervised the lieutenant who implemented the changes. To me, that's a very damning, damning allegation. And the allegation was that they, they uh, and we, see, we know that police departments have been doing this forever, but that they, the, the big claim of the Dallas Police Department in lowering crime, um, a huge chunk of that came because they stopped classifying a lot of incidents as aggravated batteries or aggravated assaults. Um, they, they, they stopped counting certain things as car robberies. They, they, they you know, they, they juked the, the stats to get their success story. And he seemed to be right, you know, I don't know. Well, I guess in the middle of it, he supervised the lieutenant who implemented the changes, you know, which were directed by the chief. He was, he was literally in the middle of it. Yeah, I, I'm shocked that the police board, if the police board did any due diligence, this, this killing crime, as it's called in the industry, called in the field, should have been a disqualifier. If you participated in killing crime, you cannot be our police superintendent. Who, first of all, no one here believes anything the CPD puts out, right? We have this cult of people who tweet out the scanner now as if that's somehow reporting. Um, that's, uh, for another, that's for another time. Um, that to me is disgusting, but that's where it's gotten because pe people find them more credible than the police department. So what do we do? We hire a, we appoint and hire a superintendent who's got a history of killing crime. Right. So what he, what he did formally, at least according to the Dallas News, is there were aggravated assaults with weapons, bricks, bottles, pipes, that the police department made a change under Kunkel, and according to the Dallas Morning News, through Brown supervising it, to change those not in their internal statistics necessarily for how they how they prosecuted that crime and whether or not that person went to jail for an aggravated assault and did prison time, but how they reported those numbers to the FBI for their annual reporting numbers for uniform crime reports. And they said, we're doing this to put our numbers more in line with how crime really happens here. No, 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 no. There's one universal de definition and you're reporting to the FBI, you have to use that universal definition. You can report out to your own public whatever definition you want and is agreed upon, but you cannot change the FBI one. That's killing crime. Kunkel should have been fired. Maybe Brown should have been fired. That is yeah. no, no. So that was one of the signs. The other thing they were doing is car burglaries. Yeah. They, at some point during this time, and not too far off from when McCarthy was coming. This is 2009, 2008, 2009. I think McCarthy got here around 12. But McCarthy did a similar thing, which is they kind of uh, civilianized the reporting of auto, things with auto. So auto theft, burglaries, and autos. All right? And they did that to save police response time. So they didn't have to tie up a cop. And they've done this all over the country at a bunch of departments, Oakland and all over. And while 
I think you can attest to this, that is not the most satisfying thing when your car gets stolen. It, dealing and reporting it over a phone call. Yeah. It does, science says it does save time and put resources where they need to be. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but then what happened during that time is they, they changed, they created a filter and they allowed these civilians to determine whether the report over the phone was credible. And then right. they also made the police, they also made the, the people being reported, they're supposed to have to take a follow-up call from a detective. And if you didn't participate in that follow-up call, it was deemed as an untruthful report and tossed yes. out. And they didn't tell people when their reports weren't filed. So uh, again, this fact check says, the news contacted dozens of victims who were surprised to learn that the police department had discarded their reports as untrustworthy, yet failed to document any reason for the skepticism. Now, right, I mean, just wouldn't to let you know, people, listen, to, listen, audience, 2,000 auto burglaries. 2,000. 2,000. And what they did in response is they then switched back away from the civilians, blaming the civilians as the problem. Right. And then switched back to putting officers responding. So, and then they also made the people reporting them sign something called, so they would attest. Basically, you could be, I think what that means is you can be prosecuted for perjury if they prove that your, the robbery didn't happen. Right. And that's a process put in to make people not follow through with reports. And this is a bureaucratic way of killing crime. Right. And it seems from the fact check that David Brown was right in the middle of it. How yeah. is that not a disqualifier? I don't understand how you could be involved in that and continue to move up. I don't know how Dallas made their, him his police chief. And I don't understand how Lori Lightfoot, she either doesn't know about it or she's okay with it. I don't understand how this hasn't been reported in the Chicago media. That's what I don't That's know. Yes. I, mean, let's, I can, let's get back I to can actually, I can actually understand all those other things way more to tell you the truth. I, I just don't get it. I just well, don't you know, get it. You know, you know, the guy's written a book. You're going to read the book. I did. Nobody's paying me to do it. I read the book and then I wanted to see what other people thought about the book and, and you know, did, did the Dallas, media cover the book what did they say did the how did the book get any attention who reviewed it what did they have to say and i popped it into google and i found this fact check i tweeted it out nobody nobody in chicago media doesn't care the well, first thing these people are going to do these reporters are going to do is the moment there's some problem or hiccup in the data the Chicago police is releasing under Brown, they're going to suddenly find this and say they're breaking news. Right, act like they're the first. Right, breaking news. Brown has a history of doctoring crime numbers. Well, you know, the thing is, is Brown's confirmation hearing before the city council's public safety committee is Monday. And Fran Spielman wrote an article today about it 
claiming that these meetings always have all of them and asking tough questions, which I, I don't remember that, but maybe that's true. And, um, and she talked to Alderman Jason Irvin, the chair of the Black Caucus, and he said, yeah, I, I wanna ask about that case where he sent the robot down the hallway to shoot the guy who killed those cops. Why did he do that? Well, I mean, I'm not saying don't ask about that, but don't you wanna, is any alderman aware of, and are they gonna ask about this whole thing with juking the, the crime staff? I mean, because the thing with the robot, I'm not, I'm not saying that that shouldn't be talked about, but it has, it's been hashed over, over and over and over and over. I mean, you know what his position is. I mean, it just doesn't, it's not high on my list of things I want to hear about, frankly. Uh, right. I went to the, first of all, I don't know what Fran's talking about tough questions. But considering she doesn't ask any tough questions ever and probably doesn't know what a tough question is, given her reporting background, let's, um, I was at the double hearing because they had to split it up into two when the public safety committee had to change the framework to allow the mayor to appoint someone that wasn't on the police board's list to allow them to hire Johnson. To, to fix how, to retroactively change the law that Ron broke? Yes. Yes, that, that would be a more uh, apropos way of saying that. Yes. And I was at that double hearing, and at no point did anyone ask him a tough question that I remember. Maybe Wagas Pack did at some point in there, although because of how corrupt Rom City Council was, Wagas Pack was always four, six, seven, eight, 12 hours in before he got his questions in. I was going to say they probably turned its mic off too, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, I think the lights were also dark on his side of the of the chamber. He, he was the um, only one left in there. <laughs> yeah, and by the time the report, most of the reporters were gone by that point, right? But I was there, and there wasn't a tough question. It was ignorant, obnoxious, stupid, soft peddling of you know we want we you need to have cops come read to our kids more. <laughs> you know, or come and lead a parade with our, with our, um, with our youth and all of the good things that cops do in our district every day. I'm surprised, honestly, that Eddie Johnson didn't fall asleep. <laughs> um, I think they need to do, I think what, what should be done on Mondays, they should, um, Lifewood's not interested because she's using politics to push her candidate through, rightly or wrongly, she's using the same tactics Ron is. This is no different. New boss, same as the old boss, basically, at least on this issue. What they should do is hire like two or three lawyers with trial experience to come and ask the probing questions. Right. But see, and if they, that's what they should do. Well, you know, the way the Chicago City Council works, uh, Jason Irvin said in Fran's piece today that the two most critical hires that the mayor makes are the superintendents of police and schools, and, and he's right. But then he said, and so therefore we should give great deference to the mayor and the mayor's picks, <laughs> to which I say, no, that's exactly why you should be the most 
stringent on your oversight and with those two hires, those are the two hires that should get the most uh, scrutiny. You know, uh, I don't even know if the, does the school chief go before, because there's a school board, does the school's chief even go before the city council? Um, you know, I gotta I, tell you, I'm unsure about that. I'm not sure if they just go in front of the school board. I'm unsure. Yeah. But regardless, the, uh, it, it, it just, it's so upside down, at, but that's, I mean, that's Chicago. So I, I don't, you know, I don't know how, I don't know what tough questions Fran Spielman's remembering, but he's been there every, every day for 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years, and I haven't, so, you know. So I wanted to call out one of the positives, you know, we don't want to be all negative 100% of the time. One of the positives, there was an interesting story done by Patrick Smith at WBEZ. Yeah. And he talked about this right care model that was instituted in Dallas, where they team up a police officer, a paramedic, and a behavioral health specialist. And they're those teams, and I'm assuming they're multiple teams because it's a you know decently sized city, they're the one that's what responds to mental health calls now. Okay. Instead of just two officers, it's that team. And I want to give Brown, I think he's pretty much on the forefront with mm -hmm. that model of responding to mental health. Right. I do think that's good. I know there was some, I saw in the story, there was some criticism from some in the Baber health community, mental health community in Chicago about how they don't think any cops should respond. I'm not sure if there should not be any cops on the scene anywhere in case the person is in such a state that they can't be controlled. Right. And can't be with patience and time and all the skills that those responders have, you know, talk down off of their down off of their experience. Um, so I do think that's interesting. But I will say there was a shooting in 2014. Um, it's on YouTube, and I'll link to all these stories will be up on CJP's website later on this afternoon. There's a shooting, you can Google it on CNN, and the title is Dallas Police, Dallas Police Fatal Shooting Mentally Ill Man Video. And you can find it on CNN, and you can find the link to it on our site coming up this afternoon, where two officers respond, and the mother has called the police because their, their son with mental health issues off his meds. He has two... He was diagnosed with two issues, one being bipolar, and I don't remember the other one. I apologize. But they get on the scene, and the mother walks through the door and out of the house, and he says he's bipolar and has some other issue, and he's off his meds. He's a bigger guy, and he has a screwdriver in his hand. And they immediately start yelling at him to drop the screwdriver. And... He doesn't, and he starts going towards the cops, and they shoot him in front of his mother on his driveway and his door and kill him. And Brown backed the officers. And I think recently did a TED Talk or something like that or a webinar and backed the officers still recently. Mm -hmm. And I have, I have a little bit of issues with that. Two officers... They sh uh, my assumption, and I don't know, so maybe I'm wrong here, that they had tasers. I'm just thinking there would have been other ways than shooting him. So I am a little bothered by that incident and his continual backing of those officers. 
I know he talks about in his book and he talks about online about, you know, how many officers he's fired. You know, you read the Dallas media, it doesn't seem like he was that much of a maverick in firing officers. Right. Well, the, the police chief before him, uh, this Kunkel fired a lot of officers too, but it is true that he, uh, you know, the, I'm not sure that they have unions down there. I think they call them associations because it's a right to work state, right? Like I don't, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's like the Dallas Police Association or something. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but no, they didn't, they didn't like Brown because they thought that, well, the way Brown puts it is I, because I held officers to account. And I don't have a problem believing that. I think he said that, I think he, he was one of the first police chiefs, maybe the first one in the country, from what I understand, to institute like a de-escalation training. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's been pretty good in that area, relatively speaking. However, and, and I think complaints about uh, like police brutality complaints, I think went down pretty sharply during his tenure. Now, there are some activists there who say, well, and I don't know if this is true, but they say, well, that's because people thought it was a waste of time because every, like every police involved shooting was ruled justified during his time, every single one. So this is the sort of thing I wish that Chicago reporters would kind of sort out for me um, because yeah the, the Dallas Morning News has some of this kind of reporting in it but I don't want to have to wade through it all and make sense of it and I don't know if I can trust the Dallas Morning News I don't know those reporters either so who knows I mean at least at least up here I kind of know which reporters are trustworthy and who to maybe be a little skeptical about and so on so Right. Let's not forget it. It is their job to filter through all of that. Right. Exactly. Their it's their job. It not, it's not my job to go through all that and right. figure it out on my own. Uh, and if someone wants to pay me to do it, I would. I'll take that assignment in a heartbeat. And and be fair about it because the truth is, is that David Brown. So we voiced some of our misgivings, but he does. He was did have a reputation for being relatively progressive, relatively reformist for the law enforcement uh, area. And also when that incident happened with the police officers getting shot, was it five that were shot and killed? Mm -hmm. One of the things that, I mean, it's a tragedy no matter what, but also it was at least reported as coming at a time when a lot of progress had been made between the Dallas Police Department and, and you know, people always talk about building trust with the community. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's a whole different thing, but- It is. But that, a that's a, but it's a whole bunch of load of malarkey in a whole other direction. But he probably um, had, had made some progress in that area, I think. And so, so I'm not, I'm not just trying to, you know, 
crap all over him or whatever. I, you know, I think he's, and he's definitely has leadership skills and, and worked his way up and, and, you know, he's written some interesting pieces since he retired from the Dallas police department as like a, I think CNN analyst or something. And he's, a lot of it is kind of pretty reformist, but I just want to know the, the whole record and have it all in context. Right. There might be answers to all the questions we have raised and the criticisms raised by the Dallas Morning News. Yeah. But the fact that we're not, those questions aren't being asked are the problem. Right. Exactly. And, and, and just one other note, whenever I hear, you know, like you talked about his CN, him writing reformist things while he's at CNN, it always reminds me of uh, former Governor Quinn, who was always much better outside the government yelling at things yeah. than actually instituting them. So. Um, I'm glad if he wrote those reformist things. I haven't seen them. Um, I'm happy about that. Um, and I want to see him institute those in Chicago. I, I, thought, you were, between... I thought you were going to say it reminds me of Rahm Emanuel writing these pieces now about oh no, you know <laughs> how to be you know, a, listen, how to be a will, mayor. <laughs> I will tell you, um, once you cover up a murder like the Laquan McDonald murder, I, yeah. first of all, I didn't give him much credibility as it was. But he's absolutely got zero now. So I'm right. not reading a thing that man produces. Right. Unless I can ridicule it and make fun of it. And that's the whole reason. Oh, I know. I, know. I, I want nothing. Like, thanks, Steve Rhodes, so much for coming on to our Facebook chats, which are every Wednesday from 12 to 1 p.m. If, you, if you're viewing this on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, like our videos. We'd appreciate it very much. If you're listening on our podcast, we also do a YouTube channel with some of the videos of the podcasts. And you can get that at our Chicago Justice Project channel. On Wednesday, April 22nd, our next guest on our live, uh, Facebook live streams is going to be Joby Cates from Reform Justice Illinois talking about COVID-19 and its impact on those incarcerated in Illinois and what the government officials and our governor and court should be doing to assist those and maybe get some people out that are most at risk for infection and serious health consequences from the infection, since it doesn't seem like that prisons are able to stem the tide of the infections because of the close quarters those people are kept in. They're not necessarily given PPE, at least I don't think so. We'll find that out on Wednesday. By all means, if you want to submit questions for our live Streams, you can hit us up at pod at chicagojustice.org. You can submit them on our Facebook page. You can get to them to us through our Twitter account at CJPJustProj, which is P-R-O-J. You do hit us up on any of those methods. We'll hopefully use your question on it during our live stream. We have a couple more podcasts coming up down the line. One about our Justice Media Project, and then we'll have another one on our talk um, from our live stream about COVID-19 in Illinois prisons. You got ideas about topics, questions you want answered in the podcast or in YouTube channel videos, by all means, hit us up. We'll also be posting a lot. We also posted to our uh, blog also about 10 questions we have that we're going to be submitting to the city council tomorrow morning about David Brown and his confirmation hearing we want to top we have list basically what we believe to be the top 10 questions that should be asked by alderman to david brown before they think of confirming him we hope they ask them we doubt they will do believe that 
that hearing is going to be kind of a joke, but we'll definitely have a response. We'll probably have a video up on our YouTube channel and a podcast extra about uh, that hearing. Do believe Wednesday during our live cast, actually, with Joby Cates, this full city council will be voting to confirm Mr. Brown, unless something goes really, really wrong. Thank you all for tuning in. We hope you're finding this as interesting as we are finding this to do, and um, we'll be back at you soon. Thank you very much.